To kick off the year, I'm starting a new series called The Legacy, Africa Through Their Eyes. This is a series that features past heads of states of African countries as they walk us through their personal lessons of leadership and how they defined their legacy. Joining me today is former Ethiopian Prime Minister Haile Miriam Dezalin. His Excellency Dezalin was the second executive Prime Minister of Ethiopia who served from August 2012 following the death of Prime Minister Mele Zenawi until his resignation and handover to his successor, Dr. Abiy Ahmed, current Prime Minister of Ethiopia in April 2018. Previously, he served as Deputy Prime Minister, Minister of Foreign Affairs, Social Affairs Minister and Government Chief Whip Minister under Prime Minister Mele Zenawi. His Excellency Dezalin is seen as the first leader in modern Ethiopian history to step down voluntarily, setting the stage for sweeping reforms in Ethiopia. He viewed his resignation as vital in the bid to conduct reforms that would lead to sustainable peace and democracy. During his tenure, Ethiopia saw annual economic growth rates averaging over 10% and today he shares with us what he wishes he knew then, his top leadership lessons and what he believes his legacy has been for Ethiopia. This was a really fascinating and interesting chat and I'm really, really excited to share this all with you. So without further ado, let's get straight into the chat. So, Your Excellency Hale Miriam Desilene, thank you so much for making time to do this with us. Welcome to the Africa Through Their Eyes podcast series for the Brentas Foundation. I guess to start us off, it would be good to know, sir, when you look back on your time as Prime Minister, what would you say has been the most important aspect of your legacy as an African statesman? Thank you very much, uh, Maria. Um, uh, first of all, uh, my valued legacy, which is, I can say, intangible, is that I left to the Ethiopian and African people that leaders shouldn't cling to power by all means. There is life after high public office. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, for, for, for the first time in Ethiopian history, I became the only leader who graciously handed over power to my successor, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Abi, as you know. Yeah. And now I live a peaceful life, serving in a different capacity, my continent, my motherland, my mother continent, Africa. Uh, then after, as you know, I also serve in Brain Trust Foundation and other uh, engagements. Uh, so I think that's my most valued legacy. I am also remembered by the the Ethiopian people that Mm -hmm. during my term, you know, there has been an infrastructure boom in my country. Um, You know, uh, we have built long distance, electric driven, climate friendly railways, both from Addis to Djibouti and also the city light rail transit, you, you, you remember that, and they are all functional now. And I started from scratch. I was uh, the board chair for this railway, uh, you know, company uh, before becoming prime minister, but I continued on uh, with that. And I think uh, mainly 
it is starting from scratch and we were able to deliver that. And I think I will be remembered by that. Uh, of course, uh, you, 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 can, you can refer to Ethiopian infrastructure development. Um, during my term, you know, 14 industrial parks yeah. established and more than 10 standard tamrat airports for domestic flights for connectivity, which was which is also very important for tourism sector transformation, which of course on 2015 I was awarded the best leader in uh, bringing about tourism to Africa uh, by the European Council. So that that was uh, because of this this uh, uh, developments that has taken place. Yeah. But um, various expressway and highways, uh, big hydro dams, which I began like uh, uh, the Give 4, we call it Quisha, which is 2,200 megawatt, in addition to finishing or continuing on uh, the construction of the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam, which was, uh, you know, started during my predecessor but the construction began during my time. Mm. So as a deputy prime minister, I was following that. Uh, but uh, during my term, I have taken to something like <clears throat> almost 67% of completion of this grant. So, um, so I will be remembered by those big uh, infrastructure uh, in my time. But the most yeah. important thing is the intangible one. Mm. No, that's 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 amazing, and I think I want to touch a bit on that. I mean, as you mentioned, you you are deemed right that first leader in modern Ethiopian history who stepped down voluntarily, right, willingly. I'm wondering, sir, can you tell us a bit more about what that moment taught you about leadership? The most important uh, lesson mm. is leadership is all about uh, serving people. Mm -hmm. with all your capacity and strengths. It is all about leading by example as a, a servant of the people, but not about self-centered uh, fame and populism, which uh, some of our leaders fail from the very beginning, or it is not about self-enrichment or egocentric networking, uh, for you know, benefiting their own groupings, be it in tribal or religious or other networks. So I think this is uh, where you can see uh, what leadership is all about and how to take it from the very beginning in order not to fail. Um, you know, you, you asked me about uh, uh, my leadership time, I, I should say I hand over the power. Uh, I was ordained by the people. Uh, I should give this power to back to the people. And when you think you did what you could uh, to hand over. I mean, it is a joyful, but it is by all means a difficult transition. You have to manage this transition uh, to enter into a new realm, to integrate into the community and to the global co you know, community as well, not only Ethiopian community. So I think it's a difficult transition, but it's a rewarding transition. And I like that very much. 
no. And I mean, it's, it's still one of the most remarkable things that we've seen when it comes to at least leaders on this continent. So definitely all the props um, go to you. And so you mentioned earlier quite a number of infrastructure developments. And I'm just wondering, one of the things that we know on the sort of continent, or I guess literature in economic development is the, the role of industrial parks and the role of, you know, all these sort of big infrastructure projects. Can you share a little bit about how you were able to ensure that most of these things were done and maybe what went into that that made you, you know, successful to be able to, you know, create 14 industrial parks, for instance? Like, what's that element that was important in being able to achieve that that maybe others need to understand better about infrastructure projects on the continent? You know, actually, one of the main reasons why Africa is lagging behind is we do have infrastructure deficit and we have to deeply understand that. You know, if you want to be competitive in the global market, even these uh, industrial parks are meant for, you know, creating jobs for our young people, especially young women and girls. And um, this, this population group and the young men constitute something like 80% of our population. So if you can create jobs, then you need to have this kind of infrastructure. Of course, you know, you can't just start from there. You know, for the last 15 years, when I started this uh, program, we were grappling around, you know, bringing about uh, agricultural transformation and rural development issues and our people were able to produce but you know that smallholder farmers if you don't have proper markets for their produce then immediately they lose uh, the motivation to produce further and to innovate further so you need to have an outlet where this agricultural production and produces should be ending for processing and that calls for you know this kind of facilitation for the private sector to engage with uh, smallholder farmers and the value chain has to be complete so the market infrastructure is needed as well as physical infrastructure like the industrial parks are the most important ones uh, with this in mind I think we have to establish that. Otherwise, the whole thing collapses uh, because uh, farmers will not and will never be motivated to produce more. But if you don't produce more, I think you can't grow and you can't transform in an accelerated manner. Uh, so that necessitated it. And I think since the economy is functioning, we were able to secure funding from you know, the global financial market. I was able to secure um, with, uh, you know, around 1 billion US dollars from the financial market. And, you know, we have been um, rated by the most known rating agencies, uh, B plus uh, by the time. So I was able to do that. So I think you need to have a dynamic economic system to finance, uh, get financing and to finance your economy. So mm -hmm. it's, it's attached, you know, it's uh, 
very well, uh, you know, value chain. Uh, yeah. and, and you can't start from somewhere, but you mm -hmm. have to build on existing uh, successes you have. So that's the reason. Look, if you don't have the, these railways, and you don't, if you don't have a green and sustainable energy, then you can't have these industrial parks to function mm -hmm. because you need to export this produce by the industrial parks in the value chain and you need infrastructure to do that. We mm -hmm. need that infrastructure, the railway to Djibouti, which is the port for export. Mm -hmm. And we need also green energy to produce. Uh, that clean energy gives you an additional boost where the global market calls for climate friendly and climate resilient production systems uh, mm -hmm. where our green energy gives us option and we get we get niche market for our produce so mm -hmm. it's all connected right yeah so it's, it's not I, I really actually appreciate that point right it's not just the hard infrastructure it's also the soft infrastructure around that right the markets with this uh, electricity being able to connect all these things because that's that's when it works so thank you so much for exactly. uh, that. yeah and i think one thing i wanted to touch on when you mentioned sort of even bringing in investment and being able to secure um, financing it was during your tenure i believe like annual economic growth rates were averaging around 10 percent um, can you tell us a bit more about what were the key focus areas that allowed you to make such a contribution to the Ethiopian economy? Were there particular um, things that you think, you know, we absolutely got right? Were they a mixture of different things? It would be interesting to hear your thoughts around what actually led to that 10%. Um, actually, it is the policy strength. Hmm. You know, uh, you should have a proper policy which takes into consideration the current situation of the country. You know, we do have people, especially 70% of our people below the age of 30. So it's a very young country, which is the same uh, in many African countries. And we are agrarian economy. And basically, uh, you know, 80% or 85% of our people live in uh, rural areas and their, their livelihood is based on agriculture. So you have to begin with what you have. And that's a low hanging uh, you know, advantage where you can harness that possibility. So we focused first on uh, agriculture because it, 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 is, uh, it constitutes around 43% of the uh, GDP of my country. Uh, it has to transform into industrial sector and also service sector when it grows. But basically at this moment, this is the largest portion of the GDP. And we have we focused, as I said earlier, in this sector. So our agriculture was growing around nine to 10%, but taking into consideration that our next stage of development should focus on industrialization and especially um, labor intensive uh, kind of manufacturing and agro-processing. I think that has to grow even faster. So our industrial sector, including the energy sector, 
uh, has been growing by 20% and sometimes 22 to 25%. Uh, the size is very small, you know, it is around 8% and it is from the GDP, uh, but also the service sector has its own contribution for that. And our service sector was growing by uh, 11%, sometimes even 15%. So added up, that brings uh, a total GDP growth to around 10% and, and uh, a double digit growth. So I think you have to focus on areas where you have comparative advantage and also competitive advantage. So these are the reasons why we were able to have a clear policy. Yeah. And, you know, we were shifting from this agrarian smallholder um, agriculture into yeah. private sector led industrialization and service sector and, of course, uh, productive sectors. So I think that is the proper transition from low income uh, to the middle income uh, level uh, transition. And we, we didn't maintain even with 15 years of double digit growth to a low, lower middle income uh, when I left uh, office. But that trend shows that if we continue with another five years, the country yeah. will reach to a middle income. Uh, status. So mm -hmm. I think this was a proper policy regime yeah. and the government was at a, at a driving seat to facilitate these things, of course, without stifling this, uh, you know, the, role, the role that the private sector has to play as mm -hmm. a major contributor to our economy. So that's a policy prescription. That brings us to the end of today's show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did putting it together. I love, love learning new things. Hey, if you enjoyed this chat, you definitely enjoy others that came before it. Check out previous episodes on whichever platform you're tuned into now or visit our website www.thebrentersfoundation.org for other episodes. As always, thank you so much for listening. And if I could make one last ask of you, please do share this with others. Again, you're listening to Marie Noel on the Brentus Foundation podcast and it's been a pleasure sharing this time with you.